So you can turn to John chapter 14. We're going to begin there in verse 15 of John 14. Uh, tonight here at the end, we're going to share in communion. Um, so we'll close with some time in communion here tonight. Um, but as you're turning to that, I just want to kind of set the scene for where we are here in, in the book of John. You know, John chapter 13 through 17 covers the night before Jesus is crucified. So these are the, these last hours um, that take place in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Um, he spent the time there celebrating the Passover meal with them. And he's with his impending arrest and crucifixion. He knows he's just around the corner. And so he had many things he wanted to share with the disciples. And so that's why I say, you know, all of God's word is holy ground when we're in God's word. But this is an extra special place, I think, tonight, because these are these last things that Jesus wanted to share with his disciples to express his care for them, uh, his love for them. And also here tonight, what we're going to focus in on is that another helper that Jesus sent, and speaking of the Holy Spirit. And, and so things were about to change for the disciples. And so Jesus was trying to prepare them to help them to understand uh, his departure and what that would mean and, and what he was going to do in sending the Spirit and, and the Spirit's work in their life. And also for us, the Spirit's work in our lives. By the time we come to this chapter here, John 14, the disciples are troubled and worried because of what Jesus said in John 13, 33. He said, there are little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And so that was on their mind as Jesus is here speaking to them. You know, these men were about to experience something that they had not yet experienced in their relationship with Jesus. Up until this point, they had lived with him. They had walked the roads, the dusty roads of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee and down to Jerusalem and that region there of Israel. They had walked beside him. And you can imagine as they walked beside him, the many conversations that they would have had. You know, they had shared meals with him. They had listened to him teach from hundreds to thousands of people. They had heard him teach and proclaim the truth of God. They listened to him respond to the enemies, the religious leaders um, that came to accuse him and to try to entrap him. They had watched him heal. They had watched him cast, cast out demons, provide food for thousands, calm storms. They watched him do all these things, and now... He's telling them he's about to leave. And you think you put that up against their expectations, that created even more grief for these guys because this was not part of their plan. This is not what they had in mind when they signed up to follow him. Morrison says of this time, says his disciples felt his departure like a torture. And it was then that he consoled them with such simple and glorious speech that all Christendom is the debtor to their agony. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we kind of zero in on the part about the helper that was to come. And as Jesus seeks to comfort his disciples in this moment, I think he also meant for us to find comfort from it, from the truths that he was going to declare about the Holy Spirit. You know, in John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so, I believe as Jesus was sharing the things that he was sharing here that's recorded in John 13 through 17, 
he had not only the disciples on his mind, but he had us on his mind as well, because he clearly did there as he prayed to the Father. So let's look, begin here at verse 15. I'm going to just read verses 15 through 28, and then we'll come back and talk about the things that he says there. He says, beginning in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So there in verse 15, Jesus is talking, obviously here, we already said this, but he's talking to his disciples, right? To those who are his followers, to those who love him. And he says there in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Before speaking, though, of their love for him, like he does here in verse 15, he had already demonstrated his love for them himself. Many times through his ministry to them, he had demonstrated his love. But most recently in John chapter 13, it's recorded there of him washing their feet. And we're told there, as John uh, uh, paints the picture and tells the story, that that was him showing his love to them by taking the time to get up from the table and to wash their feet. After washing their feet, he had also declared his love for them. So now is the first time here that he speaks of their love for him. And I think it's important to note that, you know, that first and foremost, Jesus showed his love and declared his love. And now he is speaking of their love in response to his love. And we need to remember that, that he loved us first. And so our love for him is simply out of a response to his love for us. He demonstrated his love for us, right? By dying in our place. And we're going to take the time here tonight in the end to pause and remember that sacrifice. And so our love is nothing more simply a response to the love that he has shown to us. But the demonstration of our love is found in obedience to him. And I don't want to diminish that. We are called, if we, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so the demonstration of our love to him and to the world is that we walk in obedience to him, that we seek to obey him. And so 
<clears throat> on this, though, I want to remind us, and I think we all know this, but maybe some of us feel this more than others, is that none of us have arrived when it comes to loving him. You know, none of us can declare that we love the Lord enough. And so I think we need to keep our focus on, first and foremost, the Lord's love for us, that he loves us. And, you know, Peter learned that lesson the hard way, right? I mean, Peter boldly declared to Jesus that even if all of these guys forsake you, I never will. So what was Peter doing? He was saying, I love you. I love you more than these guys. And he was confident in how much he loved the Lord. And shortly after here, um, you know, Jesus, I mean, Peter denies, denies he even knew the Lord, right? He failed. He fell short. And you go to John chapter 21, and we get the beautiful story. I'm so glad it's recorded there for us of the restoration of Peter, right? After Jesus rose from the dead, he went and found Peter, and he asked him three times, just as Peter had denied him three times, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter's response was, Lord, I have affection for you. That's the, the love that he replied back to the Lord. And that's all he could say. He realized now that he had come to a place of humility, recognizing that he didn't love the Lord as much as he thought he did or enough, but he did love the Lord. And the Lord's response to that was, this is uh, paraphrasing it, but we can work with that. Go feed my sheep was the Lord's response to him. And so as we go into this tonight, I just wanted to lay that foundation and that reminder, lest there be any of us say, well, maybe this isn't for me because I don't love the Lord enough. I don't love him enough, so the things he's going to say about his spirit don't apply to me. And I want us to know and remember that that's not true. These apply to us. If we are his followers, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the things he's going to say about the spirit and this other helper that was to come is for us. So that brings us here to verse 16, where Jesus says, I will pray the Father, speaking of the first half here, it says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. So we see here in this verse, the Trinity at work, right? The Son was going to request the Spirit, and the Father was going to give the Spirit. And so the Trinity is at work there. And the, and the Spirit was going to come as another helper, as Jesus requested. Just as God gave his Son, so he was going to give now the Spirit to his followers. The word translated another there in verse 16 means another of the same kind. Now, <clears throat> there is another Greek word that could have been used that would mean another of a different kind. But here, the word that's used is another of the same kind. So just as Jesus is fully God, so the Spirit is fully God. And you would, if, again, in the midst of trying to comfort his disciples about his departure and his leaving, if Jesus would have said to them, I'm going to send you a helper of a different kind, that would have been a very little comfort to them. They'd be like, thanks. <laughs> we don't want someone else. We want you. And, but Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's okay, men. I'm sending to you another helper, and this helper is the same as myself. The word translated as helper here means one called to another side to aid him. Jesus was departing, but he was going to ask God to send the Spirit to take his place. 
Just as Jesus had walked with them and taught them, the Spirit was going to do the same. And that's what Jesus was communicating to them here. Jesus knew the road ahead was going to be difficult. There was no way they could do what he was sending them to do without the helper. I want to read to you a quote here from William Barclay. He says, so what Jesus is saying, I'm setting you a hard task and I'm sending you out a very difficult, on a very difficult engagement, but I'm going to send you someone, the Paracletos, who will guide you as to what to do and enable you to do it. And so this is the promise that Jesus is making to them and to us. You know, we as believers are blessed with having the Spirit not only with us, but in us. You know, the disciples, and again, Jesus here, as I said earlier, is trying to help them to understand what was about to take place. They had experienced the Spirit of God beside them. They had seen the Spirit of God working and ministering through Jesus And now this new relationship with the Spirit was going to come, of the Spirit being in them. And this is what Jesus is beginning to try to to lay out and to explain to them. That brings us to the second half of verse 16 through 24, where Jesus talks about the presence, the Spirit's presence. And the last half of verse 16, he tells us that the Spirit, the Helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now, this is one of the many blessings of the new covenant that we have. You know, this past Sunday, I really enjoyed the time we had in the book of James talking about the goodness of God and how good God is to us. And what Jesus is talking about here is another display to us of the goodness of God that he is promising to us that the spirit of God is going to be with us forever. We don't have to worry about God removing his spirit from our lives as believers. Under the old covenant, that could happen, and it did. You know, it happened to King Saul, where the Spirit of God departed from his life. And it's probably why David said what he said in Psalm 51.11. This is Psalm 51 is David's uh, repentance to the Lord after he had sinned. It says in verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So David had witnessed the results of the Spirit departing from Saul's life. And David's crying out to God, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But we today now have the promise of something much better. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit being with us forever. And this is a theme you're going to see through as we go through this section of verses. And Jesus explains, he come, keeps coming back to the fact of the permanence of the Spirit in their lives. And this is something that we have much to rejoice in that we have the Spirit of God promised to us forever. And again, I wanna, cannot reiterate enough, I think, how much that this is for every believer. This is for every believer, this promise. It's not for some believers. And you may look at yourself and look at your failures and say, well, this can't be for me. God, God is gonna one day be done with me and he's gonna take his spirit away. That's not going to happen. Jesus has declared such here. He will abide with you forever. In Ephesians 4, 13 through 14, there Paul, I think, gives some elaboration on this. He says, in him you also trusted, speaking of Jesus Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. 
Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit has been given to us forever, and it's God's seal saying that you and I belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to God. We're his, and we're under his care, and we're under his protection, and he's not going to take that away because of what Jesus did on the cross, because our sins have been forgiven. Jesus has paid the price. He's made it possible for us to have this guarantee in our lives. This would be a great comfort to the disciples as Jesus shared with them about what was ahead. And he's going to talk about some of the difficulty here and tonight as we go through this. We'll see that. And it should be a great comfort to us as well that God does not call us to his work in this world. He does not call us to himself and then say, good luck with that. He gives us his spirit and his spirit is going to remain with us forever. In verse 17, we see that the spirit of God allows us to know him. We are allowed to to know the spirit of God. We get the blessing of knowing the spirit of God in our lives. Because he says there is spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the world can't see him. The world doesn't know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And as I mentioned, this is the new thing for them. It was a new relationship with the spirit that was coming. The spirit not only being with them, but also being in them. But today, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we received the spirit. His spirit of God came into our lives. And this is the promise that the Lord has given to us. And as Jesus said here, this is something that the world doesn't get to have but we get to have it. We get to have this work of the Spirit within our lives. He says there also in verse 17 that he dwells with us and in us. And I already began to mention that, but the word dwells there means remain, stay. A person or thing remains where he, she, or it is of location, stay often. In the special sense, live, dwell, or lodge. Jesus is telling us that the Spirit makes his home in us. And again, signifying the permanence of it. And as you begin to see this, it kind of, it's hopefully you're beginning to catch on. It sounds permanent, doesn't it? We're his dwelling, we're his home. He's taking up residence in us. And Jesus, again, is just trying to, is building on this truth with us, trying to help us and them understand this because he knew that they and we needed to have confidence that God's spirit was gonna remain with us as we walk through this life. In verse 18, he makes it clear that we are not alone. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We need to hear this from their perspective. Again, they were wrestling with the fact that Jesus was telling them he was leaving. And again, he's seeking to reassure them. He wanted them to know that they were not going to be like orphans. Orphans is the Greek word orphanos, and pertains to being without the aid and comfort of one who serves as associate and friend, orphaned. He, through the Spirit in their life, was going to come to them, and the Spirit was going to give them the aid and comfort that they needed. And Jesus knew that they were going to need a lot of aid and a lot of comfort. And, you know, we can kind of laugh sometimes at the disciples. I mean, they got, they got themselves into a lot of messes, right? And said things at times they shouldn't say, And so he knew they were going to need aid, but we're not much different, right? We get ourselves in messes and we think, say things we shouldn't say at times. And he knows that we need his aid. 
and we're going to find difficulty. He knows we need his comfort. On this point of, of being alone, I want to read some lyrics from the hymn, which I found a little bit amusing to me a moment ago that Daniel played a little, they played a little bit of this hymn, How Marvelous, How Wonderful. I want to read this portion. It says, Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And I love this last line. And he suffered and died alone. You know, Jesus died alone for our sin on the cross. He experienced something that no believer will ever experience. As he bore the sin on the cross, he, he says, you know, Father, why, why have you forsaken me, right? He was all alone as he bore our sins. But that is something that no believer will ever experience, is being alone like that. Jesus suffered being alone as he suffered for our sins so that we wouldn't have to, so that we would always be able to have this wonderful presence of his spirit in our lives, ministering to us. So no matter what we go through or how we feel about it, hear what the word of God is saying. We are never alone in this life. And, you know, the enemy loves to come at times and, and attack us with that. We can go through a trial or a difficulty where maybe there's people who we're close to who forsake us and, or who betray us. And we can begin to feel alone and we can begin to cry out and wonder, where is God and what is going on? But we need to come back to the truth of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is declaring to them and to us that we will never be alone because his spirit will abide with us forever. Now that brings us here to verses 18 through 20. And, um, you know, there's a little bit of disagreement about whether Jesus here in these verses is speaking still about the Holy Spirit or about him coming to them after his resurrection. I see verse 18 of spe as speaking of both, you know, because he says, I will, leave you orf I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So, Jesus, yes, was going to come to them after the resurrection, but in the context here, speaking about the helper that was to come, he was going to come in the, Holy, in the form of the Holy Spirit to them and be there with them through life. Verses 19 through 20 um, are speaking, I think, of his death and, and that it was not the end. And so I do think 19 and 20 are more about what was to come for him about his death and his resurrection. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And at that day, and I believe again, I think he's speaking of the resurrection, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So Jesus had been telling them he was going to die. He had told them he was going, also that he was going to live again. And I love the statement Jesus makes there in verse 19. He says, because I live, you will live also. And he's just stating in his fact. He hadn't even gone to the cross. He hadn't even gone through death. But he knew that he was going to come out the other side, that he was going to live. And because he was going to live, they and we could live also. And his resurrection would be the proof, verse 20 there, 
uh, of the fact that um, the father had accepted him, of the relationship that he had with the father. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was not in the father, and they or we could not be in a relationship with God. But Jesus did rise from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, they could see clearly that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. Romans 1.4 says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead declared that he was the Son of God, that everything he said was true, and that he was, had come from the Father and that he was going to go back to the Father. That brings us to verses 21 through 24. The Spirit brings the believer near. Uh, There in these verses, Jesus speaks of the fact that he was going to manifest himself to them. And Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, questions, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And that was going to happen through, again, this work of the Spirit that Jesus is speaking of here that the Spirit of God was going to come and manifest or declare, lay to open view, make visible Jesus in their life. And this is going to happen through the work of the Spirit. And then in verses 25 through 28, Jesus talks about the Spirit being sent in Jesus's name. And, you know, overall, these verses are talking about this truth of him being sent in his name. And these things are things which we're going to talk about here in just a second, are things we should be expecting for the Spirit to do in our lives as we look down through verses 26, 27, and 28. The Spirit, as Jesus says in verse 26, has been sent in Jesus' name. And what does that mean? Well, we're going to come back to that here when we get into chapter 16 in just a moment. What does it mean that the Spirit has been sent in Jesus' name? What does that mean? What does it look like? But some things we should expect of the Spirit. In verse 26, the first part, he's he's going to teach us all things. The Spirit of God is going to teach us. Just as Jesus taught his disciples, so the Spirit would teach his disciples and teach us. Jesus is trying to convey the truth of this another helper, one just like himself, was going to do what he had been doing, was going to teach just as he taught And John, picking up on this later on in 1 John 2.27, says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so what Jesus is conveying here is that the Spirit of God, one of the things he's going to come, he's going to come and teach us all things. And we need to have confidence in, that, in the Spirit doing that in our lives. Again, the expectation for us as his disciples is that the Spirit is going to teach us, is going to guide us and teach us. And one of the ways he would do that is verse, the latter part of verse 26. This is going to remind us of what Jesus said. The Spirit was going to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus has said to them. And for these disciples, it would allow them to record what Jesus did and said in the gospel accounts. In fact, it's why we have what's being said here in John. It's because Jesus brought to remember, the Spirit brought to remembrance these things that he had said to them. And the Spirit did that for them. But today, the Spirit is also bringing to remembrance in our lives 
the things that he has said. It's Spirit's reminding us. It speaks to us about this is the truth. This is what Jesus has declared. And that they should expect that work and we should expect it as well. And then verse 27, Jesus speaks of the peace that, um, was going to, that he was giving to them. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus has given us his peace. And in the context here, it's, I think, in relation to the work of the Spirit of God in their life and in ours. It's the Spirit who works in us to help us experience that peace. I just want to skip ahead here to John 20, 21, and 22. And we'll come back right back to where we are in John uh, chapter 14 there. But this is after the resurrection in John 20, 21, and 22. It says, so Jesus said to them, and he's here appeared in the upper room um, to the disciples after he's risen from the dead. He says, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so just as back in John chapter 14, he says, my peace I leave with you. Here he reiterates, peace be with you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so that was their initial beginning to experience the things that Jesus had been telling them here in John chapter 14. And what he's going to say in John 16 was the Spirit coming into their life. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe that. Somebody's talking to me there. <laughs> All right. So what is that? What, you never know. Why does Siri never work you when you want to? And then it talks to you when you don't want it to talk to you. I'm sorry about that. Um, so the Spirit's present reminds us that our greatest need has been dealt with, right? Our sins have been forgiven. We have been made right with God. And because of that, we are able to have the peace of Jesus in our lives, because we have that confidence, because, his pre- because the Spirit is in our lives, we know our sins have been dealt with, and we're now able to experience this peace. This peace is not like the world's, which depends on circumstances. This peace exists despite circumstances. It is a peace rooted in who God is, what he has promised, and his care for us. And we know we have that peace because of the Spirit of God in our lives. Because we have God's Spirit, we can have peace, and He wants us to have that peace. When I think of the peace at work in Jesus' life, I'm all, I think all the time of the account of the, them being out on the sea and the storm raging. And where was Jesus at while that was happening? He was asleep, right? He was asleep in the boat. That was the peace of Jesus. He was never anxious. He was never worried. He was never wringing his hands, wondering what was going to happen. He at all times is at peace. And that peace is the peace he wants us to be able to experience as well. And we see in verse 28 that through the Spirit, we experience the presence of Jesus. He says, you have heard of me. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And so he's, again, speaking of the fact he's going away, but he's going to come back. And how was he going to come back? I believe in the, in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how he was going to come back to them, and he was going to dwell and abide in their lives. And, and we'll see that again in just a moment here in John chapter 16. 
Now, moving on later in the last part of John 15, the last two verses, John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus says there, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so the spirit, Jesus says, is being sent to testify of Jesus that he's going to declare and testify of what Jesus had done and of his works. And um, in this section here, these verses 26 and 27 are sandwiched in between the last verses of chapter 15 prior to that, where Jesus is talking about the difficulty the disciples were going to face. He was talking about the fact that they were going to be hated because he was hated. The world was going to hate them also. And then and at the end of verse 25, he says, they hated me without cause. Um, you know, that's just something to ponder and think on there, the fact that they hated him without cause. I mean, when you think about Jesus, you know, what is it really that makes people so mad when you talk about him, about him, right? Because, I mean, what did he ever do to anybody, right? He never did anything to anybody. He never harmed anyone. He never hurt anyone. In fact, he constantly touched people's lives and showed compassion and care for people. And yet, and that's why it says there, they hated me without cause. There was no reason to hate him. But the real reason we know is because of the fact that he uh, brought light to the darkness and the darkness did not like it. And that was the, and he exposed the sin and and the world doesn't like that. And that's why the enemy bring, brings up those emotions and those hatreds for, for Jesus and who he is. And then in verses 16, 1 through 4, again, on the other side of these verses, he tells them they would be put out of synagogues. They would be killed by people who thought they were serving God. And so he's telling them this, that they would not, not be made to stumble as they went on in what he was calling them to. But again, in the middle of all that, talking about the persecution, talking about the fact that people were going to kill them, Jesus says what he says here about the spirit of the, that was to come, the helper was going to perceive, who proceeds from the father was gonna testify of him and he was gonna, and they also were gonna bear witness. And so they had been with Jesus. And so this has special um, direct application to them. They had been with Jesus, and now they were going to also testify of his life and his work and of his resurrection. We too, though, even though we didn't witness Jesus walk on this wor- in this world and get to hear him talk and see, the do- see him do the things that he did, we also, because of his work in our lives, get to testify of Jesus, just as the Spirit of God testifies of him. And the Spirit, he goes on in the last part there, verse 26, to say the Spirit was sent by Jesus from the Father. Considering that not so comforting truth that the world would hate them, Jesus says that he will send the helper from the Father. And back in chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said the Father would give another helper. So which is it? Well, both. Again, I think we see the Trinity at work here in these verses, in Jesus' explanation. The Spirit has been sent to testify to us, and we are also now able to testify to the world, and that's what the Spirit is doing of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And he calls him the Spirit of truth. 
there in verses, uh, the last, in verses 26 and 27. Jesus speaks of him as the spirit of truth. And so, Jesus, and so the spirit of God seeking to glorify and testify of Jesus speaks those things that are of Jesus. That's what he's all about. So Jesus gets here to chap, in chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. He begins to talk about the spirit's advantage to them. He says there in verse five, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so first here, there's a self-focus that he was dealing with with the disciples. They were filled with sorrow because of what Jesus had said to them about him leaving. Their sorrow caused them to focus on themselves and not to really be hearing. And I think that's why Jesus brings this up. He was wanting to make, get them to, be, to set aside their emotions and to hear what he was trying to communicate to them. And so they weren't really so much concerned about where he was going and what that meant. And Jesus is like, guys, focus here. Set aside the sorrow. I want you to understand that I am going to the Father and what that means for you. And, and so that's what he begins to lay out here. And so in verse 7, we see that this odd contradiction. We see what I call the blessing of Jesus' departure. He says to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Despite their struggle, Jesus was, going, was telling them this this shocking thing in the midst of their sorrow. He was telling them, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, there are moments in scripture that I think it'd be nice if we had a picture of the event and what took place. And this is one of those that I think it'd be pretty cool to have a picture of, because I can only imagine the shock and bewilderment on their faces when he said to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. They had to be thinking, like, are you kidding me? How is that advantageous, if I can say the word, for you to go away? Look at all we've seen you do. Look at all your power, everything you've taught us, everything you've shown us, and now you're telling us it's an advantage if you leave? This does not make sense. And, and that the word that's used there means to help or confer a benefit for that word advantage, it mean, or to be profitable, to be useful. And so Jesus is saying, yes, it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send a helper. And you think of all that's wrapped up into that. It was not only the fact that the helper could come, he was leaving to go to the cross and die for their sins and to, be, to rise from the dead and to initiate the new covenant so all of that was the, to their advantage and to our advantage. And he was going to go and he was going to send the, the spirit of God to be with them. And so now the other advantage that they were have and that we get to have today is that no matter where we are, we have Jesus with us because the spirit of God is with us. We don't have to be in Galilee walking the dusty roads with them. We can be walking the roads here of Lynchburg or any other part of the world, and we have Jesus with us. And this is what Jesus was wanting them to understand. This brings us here in verses 8 through 11, where he talks about another work of the Spirit, and it's the Spirit's work of conviction in the world. Um, 
The word convict there is a Greek word, which means to bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing, convict, convince someone of something. The Spirit would come to convict the world, he says here, of three things that the Spirit was going to come and convict of. The, world, the Spirit was going to come and convict the world of sin there in verse 9. And what is the sin that the Spirit was convicting the, going to convict the world of? He was going to convict the world of the sin of not believing in Jesus for salvation. And that is the greatest sin in, in the world, is not believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, speaking to Nicodemus, that people were condemned already because they had not believed in the name of, of the one and only Son. And so the Spirit of God, Jesus was sending it into the world to convict the world of the fact that they are in sin because they are not believing in God's provision for salvation. That is the sin that the Spirit came to convict of. Now, not to say that he doesn't convict of other sin, because he does, but Jesus primarily zeroes in here on the conviction of the sin of, dis, of unbelief, not believing in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 10 that the Spirit would convict of righteousness. The Spirit convicts the world of the righteousness of Jesus because he was received by the Father. You see, because Jesus rose from the dead, it's proof that everything he said and did was righteous. There was not a fault found there because otherwise he would not have risen from the dead. And that's further made clear in the fact that he ascended and returned to the Father and the Father received him. It speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it speaks to the world of the fact we better pay attention to what Jesus had to say. Because if Jesus was declared to be righteous, declared to be the Son of God, received back by the Father, we need to hear what he has to say. What he says matters primarily to us because of who he is. And this is something that the Spirit of God is working to convict the world of, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he is who he claimed to be. And then the third thing he convicts the world of is a judgment. And the ruler of this world, Satan, was judged at the cross. And this is something that I think that Jesus is trying to make plain and clear to him. I want to read it to you a quote here. Um, it's the, the commentator says, The Spirit will effectively point the world to its own ruler, whose fate is already sealed. He has been judged, and the judgment once rendered stands fixed and irrevocable forever. Satan was judged at the cross. Sent, he was defeated. Now, there's a future judgment where he's going to be finally and once for all dealt with. But the Spirit of God is convicting the world of the fact that this world's God, this world's ruler, was judged there. And the, and the amazing thing about the crucifixion and the death of Christ is to the world and to, initially to the enemy, it looked like defeat for Jesus, that Jesus had been defeated the, the twist in the whole thing was that it was Satan who was defeated and Jesus who was victorious because he conquered death and sin there on the cross as he died and as he rose again for us. And so that's why in the, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul speaking of Jesus says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
And so we and the world knows that there's judgment coming because Jesus rose from the dead. And, and everything that he declared we know is true because that happened. And so it comes here to verses 12 through 15. And here Jesus speaks of the spirit being sent to glorify Jesus. And I just want to read those and make a few comments here before we close. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come and he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus here tells them he had many things to say to them, but they weren't able to handle it right now. And you, you think about, boy, you, you had already said a lot, Jesus, but he had so much more that he wanted to say, but they weren't ready for it. And so the spirit was going to come and glorify Jesus by declaring the truths about him and giving further revelation of who Jesus Christ is and the truth that he wanted us to know. Um, and the spirit, so the spirit was going to glorify Jesus and it was going to, it was going to um, speak of him to the world. So, and I also mentioned earlier, <clears throat> coming back to this now, the spirit was sent in Jesus' name. So what does glorifying Jesus and being sent in his name mean? Well, the significance of that is that <clears throat> it speaks of how we can expect the spirit to work and act in, in our lives and in this world today. A work of the spirit will look like Jesus and the way he ministered when he ministered. Um, and that's what our expectations should be. When, we, when the Spirit's at work, it's going to look like Jesus and how he ministered in the world. Among other things, when you see a work of the Spirit and working through somebody's life, you're going to see humility in them and what they're doing because that's what we saw in Jesus and how he ministered. There's going to be a putting of others first and a seeking to care for other people. And that's just the name of very few things that you will see because the Spirit has been sent to glorify Jesus and been sent in Jesus' name. And so it's going to look like Jesus when it's the Spirit of God at work. Ministry done in the flesh is not a work of the Spirit, and it does not testify of Jesus or bring glory to him. And so we should have the expectation that when we see ministry happen, it's going to look like Jesus. And it's how we need to check ourselves when we're ministering to others. Does it look like Jesus in what I'm doing? In the attitude that I have toward that person or toward those people? Is it how Jesus would speak to them? Is it how he would care for them and minister to them? Because if it's not, then we are hindering the spirit of God from testifying and glorifying of Jesus Christ through our lives. And so we need to be careful to make sure that what we are doing is, is allowing the Spirit to testify and bring glory uh, to uh, Jesus Christ. And so he says there, the Spirit will speak what he hears. He's going to speak those things that Jesus speaks to him. And he's going to share with us what belongs to Jesus. Um, and this is the promise that they had as, believe, as followers of his, and it's the promise that we have here today. Um, there in the verse uh, 15, I just want to read that and um, close with a verse, some verses here in 1 Corinthians. He says, All things that the Father has are mine. 
Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He, in turn, works in our minds today so that we can understand what has been declared about Jesus. We have this wonderful privilege of understanding Jesus and what has been declared about him. And I want to take you over to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, as we wind up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. And I just want us to see this, this wonderful privilege that we have that Jesus is speaking of. Um, but as Paul says here, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But then natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And the reason I wanted to kind of wrap up with that, hear Jesus again talking to us, to disciples and to us, that the Spirit was going to take what was his and reveal it to us. And that's further elaborated on in those verses. I want to encourage us to never take for granted what the Lord has allowed you to understand about Jesus. It's a privilege that you and I have any understanding about Jesus at all. It's something that the he, a work that he has done through his spirit in our lives to allow us to understand some of these things of him. And it's a precious work, and it's a work that we should not take for granted that God has done for us. And you, the things you know about Jesus, the things I know about Jesus, are not because we were so smart that we figured it out. It was because the Spirit of God revealed it to us. The worship team can come up. Um, I want to read to you as they're coming up a quote as I'm concluding here from, uh, from Wearsby. It's important to note the Spirit comes to the church and not to the world. This means that he works in and through the church. The Holy Spirit does not minister in a vacuum. Just as the Son of God had to have a body in order to do his work on earth, so the Spirit of God needs a body to accomplish his ministries, and that body is the church. Our bodies are his tools and temples, and he wants us to glorify Christ and to witness to a lost world. And so, again, just as the Spirit was sent to testify and glorify Jesus, he he does that through our lives. And our lives now get to declare to the world who Jesus is. And so, just four quick things. He has revealed Jesus to us, right? That's first and foremost here. The Spirit is with us forever, we've seen here tonight. He is a spirit of truth, and he is at work guiding us into all truth. We can know truth because the Spirit of God is at work guiding us to it. And the work 
and the work through is going to he's going to work through us to glorify Jesus is what he wants to do. And so praise God for the work of his spirit in our lives. And my encouragement to you is that just to go and to learn, continue to learn more about what the spirit wants to do in and through your life and how he wants to declare Jesus to you and how he wants to use you to be a testimony to the world. And so the work.